0: Welcome to Teaching and Learning with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy, a podcast supported by Governor State University's Center for Community Media. I am Dr. Amy Viaclia, Director of Educator Preparation.
1: And I am Dr. Joy Patterson, Chief Diversity Officer. In our podcast, we talk about a range of topics, such as historical and cultural identities, community engagement, restorative justice
0: collaboration and leadership we aspire to elevate the profession through conversations with classroom teachers school support personnel administrators parents and students
1: our podcast addresses issues through the lens of diversity equity and inclusion along with takeaways for us to grow as
0: educators And, of course, as learners. So let's get into it. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hello,
1: Dr. Amy. How are you doing this evening? You know what, Amy? In my view, can you see that bonsai tree?
0: I see a beautiful tree in your window.
1: It is beautiful. So I'm learning how to take care of my bonsai tree. It's new to me, but it's 15 years old. And so it's what, sitting at about 24 inches high. It is, I mean, it is just such an example of strength, isn't it? It's beautiful, it's strong, it's old. It is just wonderful. So it's been brightening my day every time I come in the office. So I've been watching videos on how to keep it alive.
0: <laughs> well, we want to keep that tree alive. I know. That symbol is important, but uh-huh. it, there's a message in that. Nice. There's a message in the strength and it's endurance. So I think the person we're talking to today has a lot of that same strength and a lot of that same endurance. And hopefully that wasn't a, a, a corny tie in because I really do feel that way. Repeat guest on our show is Dr. Cheryl Green, who is Governor State University's sixth president. She is an experienced higher education leader with broad knowledge base across academia and brings more than 30 years of leadership, accountability, and expertise in roles focused on academic and student affairs, teaching, and research faculty and staff governance, and financial management and fundraising, which we have seen as great growth in our institution in the last couple of years. Dr. Green earned a bachelor's degree in psychology from Manchester University, a master's degree and doctorate in counseling from Southern Illinois University, and served at the University of Wisconsin Prior to that, she was Assistant Vice President of Student Affairs at Tennessee State University for five years and Chicago State University prior to that. And I want there to be no more priors. I want Governor State University to be the current and the lasting. And here she is. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Green, President Green.
2: Thank you so much for having me this evening. I look forward to the conversation. I think that you, uh, Dr. Viacula and Dr. Patterson, you as well are doing a tremendous job of talking about
1: critical
2: issues that affect our society, our community, and our daily life experiences. And I appreciate an opportunity to come and Give thoughts and share with you about how we move forward, because that is my agenda. How do we advance the university? And how do we give people tools that help them become empowered to make the changes that are needed to improve their condition, their opportunities, their outlook, and their overall well being?
1: Thank you. I like and, and that's, yes, it, go ahead, Amy.
0: I like what you were saying about empower. And I've been really trying to unpack that because when we talk about un, empowering people, what does that look like? And I know in this conversation today that we are going to unpack what that means to empower someone. And a lot of that has to do with the college education.
1: Yes, I'm excited about this conversation tonight. Dr. Green, you didn't hear the pre-conversation, but we started off talking about this bonsai tree that you may see over my shoulder. And it kind of blends in with the elements back there. And we were talking about the symbolism of strength and endurance. Mm -hmm. And that was a great segue to Dr. Amy introducing you as a symbol and a pillar of strength. So we're happy to have you interview you. I want to say that we saved our 100th episode for you. And so we're really excited about that. So let's let's get started. You know, because you were hired during the pandemic, you were hired two and a half years ago. And what more have you learned about the overall climate? Because it was quite different when you started, you know, you didn't Get the full effect. What more have you learned about the overall climate? And most importantly, what have you learned about the students' needs and what it will take to make them successful?
2: Okay, before we segue to those questions, I have to say one more thing about trees. So one of my favorite quotes of all time is one that has been commonly attributed to Confucius. And that is, if you want to grow... Rice and plant for one year. If you want to plan for 10 years, then you grow trees. But if you want to plant and grow for a lifetime, educate the children. I think that is so profound, so simple, and so true. And so before we Segue from trees. I just had to add that because I thought of that as you were speaking. So, back to your question no one could have told me that I would be a pandemic president. (laughs) And that means that I started at the height of the pandemic, July 1, 2020. The world was in chaos in every sense of the word, from the economy to the labor force, to the healthcare system, to the social uh, climate, to the legal system, the political arena, everything was in chaos. And our educational institutions were vulnerable because we were dealing with the challenges of education is no longer at the top of the list for the average person. It is now survival. It is now staying alive, it is now healthcare, it's basic living necessities. So that put a real impetus for change on universities, on institutions, on organizations, on teachers, faculty, and many other social systems and organizational structures. So that's one thing. As I transitioned into the role, courageously, (laughs) optimistically. um, I learned that in spite of the numerous challenges that we all were facing, there was opportunity for hope. Because this is not the first crisis that America has had and that education has faced. And so there is a tradition of overcoming challenges and obstacles, and landing in a better place. School segregation was a challenge, or desegregation was a challenge in education. It turned upside down. Many of our beliefs, our practices, our laws, convictions, our relations with one another, It, it but we weathered that storm, and I would say that we're in a better place because of that. And so it taught us as a society and as individuals that we are resilient. That's a very special term, resilience. And what I saw in myself is a determination. What I saw in my colleagues and community members at Governor's State, Was innovation. I saw flexibility. I saw also determination. And I saw a commitment to caring. I care that my students are in peril and that I have to do things differently and I have to do more. And that's what I woke up with every day. And last but not least, one of the challenges that existed prior to the pandemic that got magnified during the pandemic that I think most of the Western hemisphere is focusing on, if not the world, and that is the mental health impact of what we just went through. Pre-pandemic, pandemic, pandemic, and post-pandemic, that is an issue for people. The isolation, the social withdrawal, The fears, the anxieties, the crisis of being diagnosed and having chronic conditions and all of that exacerbated something that was already prevalent in American society. So we have a lot of lessons about life and survival and thriving and treatment and intervention that we will need to hang on to.
0: I'm glad you talked about the determination and the way professors and students within the university really responded and thought about the care and the social emotional piece of this, because it's huge. I was just real quick. I was observing a student teacher yesterday when we had a conversation with a cooperating teacher, either sophomore students in high school. They were seventh graders in March, 2020. In their eighth grade year, they had minimal interactions. In their freshman year, their full-time teacher left and they had a a full-time sub until a student teacher completed and got licensed in December and became their full-time teacher in January these sophomore high school students have had a really interesting, rocky experience and probably have not had until this year a real seasoned, experienced teacher since fall of their seventh grade year. So I'm glad you talked about that determination and that social, emotional piece, because those students who are sophomores now in a few years may be entering our door And have had those traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that's
2: emerged within mental health is trauma informed care. And so all of us experienced some level of trauma during the pandemic, whether it was a personal diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or a major change in health status, you know, because you could be diagnosed and not have symptoms, or you could be diagnosed and you know, be hospitalized. So, you know, all of us learned about trauma in a whole new way during the pandemic. And those lessons are vital to our ability to navigate what's ahead for us. I was going to mention, as you talked about the change in the student experience for pre-college students, one of the things that I'm terribly proud of is our Illinois tutoring initiative. I am so incredibly proud that Governor's State is one of the leading institutions that is providing tutoring resources because we know that there are gaps in learning that occurred during the pandemic. And this is our way. And Dr. Patterson, as you know, is one of the champions of this initiative, is largely responsible along with her colleagues for us being successful and launching this initiative. And it is going to make a difference, not only for the students to receive that support, but to hire and employ people with the skills and the commitment to serve that population because we know it's there and we are doing something about it. And that's part of our mission. And it's part of our DNA at GSU, and I'm just extremely proud
0: of that. Now the initiative and such as the tutoring and other fantastic work that's going on at the university, I don't know that it gets publicized enough. I mean, how do you think that there has been such a such a push from the outside really with a critical lens towards colleges and college education, you know, there's so much access online while people are at home. Well, they can just learn this online or they can do uh, these micro credentials, which are fast, fantastic. But what do you think the pandemic did? Or how do you think it impacted people's view on colleges and college education?
2: Well, I think that there were a lot of lessons learned. And one of the lessons learned was the way that we have been providing instruction to students is not the only way. I think that there was already a strong trend towards virtual learning experiences. Not everybody was on that bandwagon, but they were forced into it during the pandemic. They didn't have a choice. There was no classroom. There was no group experience, no group testing, none of that. There wasn't even going out to clinicals and all of that during the height of the pandemic. Everything had to be done virtually. So people who scoffed at it, didn't believe in it, didn't want to do it, didn't know how to do it, had to get on board. They had to sink or swim. And they did. And they found that it was functional it was effective, and that there were some course objectives and types of disciplines that were served very well by that. And I know it's a case-by-case basis with the learning objectives of each course. I know that there were standardized teaching strategies through things like Quality Matters for online teaching. Online teaching versus hybrid classroom versus face to face, and Governor State used all three. Mm-hmm. There were some things you had to do in person with masks and gloves and sprays and shots, and and then other things, many other things that we never knew before could be taught virtually and were more convenient for the students. And we found ways to meet our learning objectives and. Uh, now that we are in a relatively post pandemic phase faculty have learned that you know what maybe i'll keep this format with mm-hmm. for this class because it worked i engaged more students attendance was better discussions were better you know participation so on and so forth and then i'm sure there were also there was also evidence that you know what some of the students who are members of the community at GSU did not thrive in this format. And so at the very least, I need to go to hybrid, if not back to -to face-to-face altogether. So we learned lots of lessons and all of them are
1: valuable. You know, I haven't asked this question in a while. And I used to always ask, how are we better as a result of the pandemic? You remember that Dr. Amy used to ask that all the time. And I do think, that at Governor State University, we are better as a result of the pandemic in many ways. Our first podcast was on digital learning. Mm-hmm. You know, we were so accustomed to having these hallway conversations and doing things out of the box. We, the pandemic hit and we had to find a way to continue that momentum. And so our first charge was, let's do this, you know, let's do this podcast on digital learning to help not only faculty, but faculty everywhere, help pivot to digital learning. So we were, I think in many ways, we are better because of it. And we see programming changing. We see flexibility in teaching and students who always had a problem. Whether it be disability, it could be emotional, now they benefit from all the flexibility that we now have. So I think it's great. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to attend an event in which you were one of the panelists with two other university presidents. And we were, the discussion was about funding equity for some of the state colleges. You gave an opening statement about the first about the value of education and you talk the value of a college education and you talk about the first university in the US. You remember this at Harvard University. You talked yes. about that and you compared it to what it's like now. Mm-hmm. It was very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very powerful. Can you, would you share some of that with our listeners? So I think that What is being
2: referenced is the community conversation with advocates, with policymakers, with legislators, with educators, with students, and so on, and and community members coming together to talk about the importance of public universities in Illinois receiving adequate and equitable funding so that they can meet the objective of promoting education and a well-trained workforce for the state of Illinois so that it continues to thrive. And so with my opening comment on that panel, what I said was, Harvard University is by far considered the oldest and first university in America. It was founded in 1636. The first Black graduate of Harvard was Richard Greener, who completed his studies in 1844, almost 200 years later. So the next thing out of my mouth was, how many people in this room, and there were at least maybe 50 people in the room, are first-generation college students? I would say about 90% of the people in the room raised their hand. And I said, how is it that education began almost 400 years ago, and we still have first generation college students? There's something wrong with that.
0: That leads to my question that I have about the benefits of a college degree. There are different pathways, of course. We can all recognize that there are fantastic opportunities no matter what uh, a person desires to do, whether it's the trades, military, and college degree. But let's talk about the benefits. I mean, we know the obvious benefits of the value, higher pay, less likely to be unemployed, health, retirement benefits. But what else, what are some other benefits to earning a college degree beyond the obvious?
2: So beyond the obvious, I would say that a college education affords an individual the power to think critically about their own future, about self-determination. And it provides them with a platform to expand their opportunities to thrive. I also think that a lot of information is contained in books. And if you are not literate, you will not have access to volumes of information that you may need and benefit from as you navigate your daily life, be that voting rights or in employment applications or financial loans and the paperwork and businesses applications and so on and so forth, knowing how to read, how to examine information, how to think critically, how to weigh pros and cons, how to navigate paperwork and um, understand at a higher level, what is righteous and what is not is critical to your social mobility. And I think that in America, you have three basic pathways to financial well-being, let alone wealth. One is inheritance, and almost all of us will not inherit wealth.
1: hmm
2: the other way is if we start design, operate our own business, entrepreneurship. And there has been a tremendous boom of people creating ideas for products and services and generating wealth, especially through the tech world, especially through social media, uh, so on and so forth. And last but not least, the college education route. The more education that you can accumulate, generally speaking, the more advancement in the professional world and the higher pay, the more job stability, security, and variety, because there are transferable skills. I could have been trained as a teacher and leave teaching and go into corporate or go into government or go into whatever, you see, or open my own business for that matter. And so I think college is an opportunity that every human being in the world, let alone America, should have. Because it is such an equalizer when it comes to social mobility, when it comes to empowerment, when it comes to navigating when you go to the doctor and they give you medical information, how do you decipher that mm-hmm. if they're using medical terms that you don't understand? And you get, you almost need a patient advocate in the room with you, you know. So, and you still may need one after you have your college degree, if it's not in the health careers. But um, it is a tool that can be sharpened and that can be used to help us achieve you know, stability and to help us sustain our momentum as we grow and develop as human beings. And it, that's why I think it should be a right and not a privilege.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In America, education is, both of you well know, started only with the privileged, mm-hmm. only with males and only with whites. hmm and thank goodness we're not there now. People who look like you and me and females, people of other hues, ethnic identities, uh, uh, gender identities, and can go to college and, and learn and contribute to not only their own well-being, their family's well-being, and society's well-being. You know, what I love about the state of Illinois right now is they have this strategic plan called Thriving Illinois. And what they have articulated is that we have to reach as many people as we can, no matter where they come from. And we have to be more inclusive so that we generate a higher percentage of people who can contribute to the economy and the social well-being of this state and of America.
1: Something else that you said that was powerful, no college, no freedom. I'm going to say that again, <laughs> no college, no freedom. And I want us to talk, I want you to talk about the freedom that a college education can provide. I know for me personally, Growing up, uh, you know, after high school, I desperately needed to get out of my parents' house. We won't talk about why, but I desperately needed to get out. And college was my path of getting out of my house, getting out of my neighborhood. And I saw that as life and death for me. And then later on, I earned a bachelor's degree and a graduate degree. And when I went on for my doctorate degree, I had small children, working full-time husband. I desperately needed to change my life again. And I needed some independence. And again, college literally saved my life. And I desperately needed that level of education to advance so that I could be independent. So let's talk about the freedom that a college education can provide.
2: So I, 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 when I talk about no education, no freedom, I, I, I need to start with some disclaimers. The majority of people in this country in its beginnings were not educated. They worked and they quite frankly, didn't need an education because there was the agricultural society, industrial society, so on and so forth. People just worked. And they, some people were paid and some people were not. And what is well known by all of us is that people of color, and particularly Black people, were denied any education, any form of literacy in this country, in their early history in this country. And it was Very, very deliberate, strategic, and intentional. Because if people cannot read, it's as basic as if you were a slave, you could not read, then you could not write. And if you could not write, you could not write a pass to leave a plantation or to leave anywhere and go freely on your own. You always had to be under the supervision of someone else. And your body and your movement and your thoughts and everything about your existence was controlled. And so denying people access to literacy was, no pun intended, literally controlling their freedom. Okay, so we'll say that. And then, There were laws in certain states that if you taught a slave to read, it was punishable by death. If the slave was caught reading, they could be whipped severely, beaten severely because it was a part of the control. And so I wanna fast forward to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Well, if you can't read it, guess what you, also won't be able to do. Know that you have those rights, exercise those rights, advocate for those rights, you know? So literacy was very much tied to freedom for lots of people, not just black people, but for lots of people. And and to, to me, this is still true today. And I'll fast forward to Michelle Alexander's book, the new Jim Crow, where she outlines that for young and particular African-American males, if they are not reading at grade level by third grade, it is commonly believed that prisons are based on the current population of young African-American males that cannot read because they know that if they cannot read, then they probably won't go to school. And if they don't go to school, they will probably end up in some illicit and criminal behavior. And if they get arrested, as they get arrested more often than anyone else, get convicted more often than anyone else, get less legal resources than anyone else because they cost money, and they end up with higher sentences mm-hmm. than anyone else. And they have to have somewhere to put them. And so this is not conspiracy theory. This is fact. The surge and in the incarceration of people who, and when they do surveys, and I'm sure all of you all are aware of this, of the number of inmates who did not finish school. Absolutely. Not Go mm-hmm. to school. And there's a very strong correlation. And between, some would argue cause and effect. Yep.
1: Yeah, between
2: uh, if you don't go to school, yeah. mm-hmm. it multiplies exponentially mm-hmm. the
1: likelihood
2: that you will end up incarcerated.
1: Mm-hmm. So that, that is a so no literacy, idea.
2: no freedom.
1: Yep, no literacy, no
2: very freedom. Very absolutely meanings from as early as 1690.
0: Mm-hmm
1: all the way up to today. Absolutely. This is a good segue for this next question about the financial cost of college. And I guess you can look at that two ways. You know, the cost if you go to college and the cost, as we just talked about, if you you don't
0: don't. go
1: to college. Right, right. And the value of education and how one outweighs the other what would you say to someone or what would you say to that parent who's saying, I can't afford education?
2: Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think, well, it is a true fact that the cost of college is rising. I think I learned that in the 70s, one of my former institutions actually let everybody in the state go to a public college for practically free. That blew my mind, I'd never heard of that. And then I also had learned that, well, it may have been about thousand dollars, which depending on what decade you're talking about, was a lot of money, but nowhere near the cost of education now. So the cost of an education has been rising steadily, At some of our more elite institutions, the cost of the education outweighs the amount of the salary you're gonna make once you graduate. And so you may be in debt. But those examples are more rare because elite institutions, you know, graduate smaller percentages of people than the community colleges and the public universities. The lion's share of people going to college goes to those two places. And so what I'm really talking about is when someone graduates from high school, there's a crossroads, if you will, of choices. And what we cannot afford to say is college is too expensive. Because whether you start out at a community college because it's lower in cost usually, and then transfer to a university, or if you go directly into one of the public comprehensives like Governor State, where we are incredibly affordable and competitive in terms of cost, and you uh, invest in your future, we will pay for a new car that costs $25,000, pay that note every month, and dare somebody to come get that car. And by the way, cars can be repossessed. We will get a credit card with a balance of $10,000 and go on shopping sprees whenever we feel like it and pay 18% interest rates And by the way, they can come repossess those materials that you bought with that credit card. And whatever you're buying won't last. The education investment is a lifetime investment. Once you pay for your college experience and degree, no one can come and repossess it. It is an investment in you. It is a lifetime investment and it tends to only grow with a higher rate of return on investment. And so we have to think about what we're willing to pay for, what we're willing to incur debt for. And let's let's not even talk about houses. Houses can be repossessed. And that is the single largest expenditure that most people will make. When you think about the average cost of a house, of course it varies by state and community, but I would say somewhere between 100 dollars and $200,000, no matter where you live. Well, a college education is lower than that for most colleges and universities. And so, and a mortgage can only be mortgaged for 30 years but a college degree is an investment for potentially 90 years, 100 years, whatever length of time you live. So it's definitely a worthwhile investment. We've already talked about the benefits, you know? And when I went to college, since Dr. Patterson alluded to her story, you know, I had to sacrifice. I went to a private college. And the tuition was much higher than the public's. And I had a work study job. I had a scholarships, fellowships. I had a babysitting job. I helped clean my residence hall. I worked summers. I did everything imaginable to generate the cost. I mean, to pay the cost for my education and was glad to do it, was glad to do it. I mean, if they'd asked me to wash windows, I would've been washing windows <laughs> to come up with the money. I, and I, I I remember working on campus. I remember babysitting for professors. I mean, I just, I did whatever I had to do within reason <laughs> to come up with <laughs> money to pay for my education because it was an investment. In me, in my future, in my social mobility, in my freedom. And as Dr. Patterson alluded to, my independence. And I'm a very independent person. And so I didn't know as much then as I know now about what that means and what that feels like. And let's talk about women, since we're three women. Empowerment and independence for women is a whole nother conversation. And education is a means to that empowerment and that independence. And again, no disrespect to any women in our history, in our families, in our communities who did not go, because raising families and working inside the home is equally important to survival. Of families and communities, but we have to have other opportunities, additional opportunities for growth, for self-fulfillment, for development, and for empowerment. We cannot only have one method to achieve that.
0: What you're saying about choice, having opportunity, having choice, and I like that the university really responded in the flexibility in the online courses and responding and having to pivot. But there's another pivot happening in the conversation about higher education. And I wonder what your thoughts are about how we can expand the conversation about higher ed. It's more than just the traditional routes to a four-year university degree now. I mean, we have... In the past, we still have had two-year institutions, but now there are micro-credentials, three-year routes to education. Can you speak a little bit more about that? What are are your thoughts?
2: You know, when I went to school, there there were not all these options. (laughs) It was graduate high school, go to college for four years, not five or six, get done, and if you're lucky, go to grad school. In today's economy, we have so many versions of access to education. You know, as you mentioned, we have micro credentials. You could be working full or part time, as most of the students do at Governor State University. And that's why we are the model university for today's students. Today's student is also an older student. Uh, they ca- they used to call them non-traditional, but now there's a a reference to the traditional, the non-traditional traditional student, which means that today's college student is older, more mature, not eighteen to twenty one, but twenty five to thirty. And that's who we have cut our teeth on at Governor State University. so we know how to design curriculum and the college experience in a way that, contributes to academic achievement outcomes for the mature working student who may be going full or part-time. Also, because we live in an information age, which started in the middle of the 20th century and continues today, there was a time that you went to school, you got a degree and that was it. You worked for 30 years and then you retired. That is no longer a reality for most people. Because your company that you work for may not even be in business for 30 years, right? Or you may have a health crisis, and, or there are so many life circumstances that change marriage, children, death of a spouse, so on and so forth, accident, injury. So that requires you to re examine and redetermine what your financial resources are. And how you can maximize them. College is today a lifelong learning experience. It's lifelong because information changes. It's updated because of computers. And so what you learned 20 years ago may not be relevant. And depending on the industry, what you learned 10 months ago might not be relevant. You have to constantly stay on top of the best practices, the techniques, the strategies, the theory, the principles around moving the industry, the discipline, the academy forward. And that requires continuous learning. That means going back to some kind of educational activity on a frequent and regular basis either for credentials, certification, licensure, exams, so on and so forth, or advanced professional degrees. All of the above are on the table now. And the most successful people know this and continue to embrace this and and move forward in their careers because of their continuation of accumulated knowledge.
1: It is wonderful to hear the transformation. I think we had our first interview with you. It's been over a year. (laughs) And now to see how strategic the conversation is. So as a final question, what do you envision as GSU's next step in living up to its mission to serve its very diverse body of students, very diverse and the surrounding community?
2: Well, I'm going to start with the last word that you spoke and that is community. One of the things that is so very important is this mutually independent relationship that we have with the community. The community supplies us with prospective students. We supply the community with an educated uh, body for potential work or service or leadership or just living. And so that is critical. And so one of the things that I believe I have focused on in my tenure as president is strengthening our community engagement. And the benefits are numerous in terms of, you know, donor development and legal advocates and policies and enrollment and the workforce, you know, and so on and so forth. I think the, the future of GSU is bright. Somebody asked me a couple of hours ago, what is the optimal size of the university? So I had some conversations about the number of thousands of students that I thought we could educate and embrace and, you know, reasonably on board. And some of that will have to happen with new buildings and infrastructure, which I'm trying to acquire. Uh, We have several buildings and the associated dollars that have been approved in the capital development process with the state. And I'm excited about that. I know that if we are going to be the university of the 21st century, we're also gonna have to understand that the world demographics play an important role at GSU. We've referenced many times diversity. So we're talking about uh, rural students, um, under-resourced students, uh, students of color, international students, women, students with different gender identities. And so we, and, and different abilities, and veterans, and there's so many populations that we can educate that we can I keep using the word embrace support nurture include accept and promote and I'm excited about doing that work as well and I'll I'll disclose by saying something that both of you know and that is Governor State University is the jewel of the South. Of the Southland. <laughs> we are rich in yes. what we offer to our constituents, to the community, the residents, so on and so forth. And we continue to innovate and find ways to meet the needs of employers and residents and parents and families and students and that is exciting work because I know that we are changing lives. Every student who completes anything at GSU has accomplished something noteworthy and needs to be celebrated because they have been given something that will empower them to have more than they had when they came to us. and. That kind of work has its own reward. You know, it's not about salary. It's not about benefits. It's not about compensation. It's about making a genuine and profound difference in people's lives. And not one for one year, but 10 years, but for a lifetime.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, being a graduate, of GSU, I received a graduate degree over 30 years ago and have benefited from it. And I've seen how much GSU has transformed and continue to transform. I'm looking forward to all the things that we are going to do here at GSU and for the community.
2: And let me just say that because of the contributions of the two of you, we are doing more, we are advancing, we are promoting academic excellence and we are achieving our goals at the university. I don't know if your listeners know how valuable the two of you are to the university, but you are and people like you. And the more we can embrace, nurture and support, not only our students, but our faculty and our staff, the better we will all be. And I'm committed to that end. And so it takes a whole village to do this work. So very often people want to celebrate me and none of our accomplishments are achievable without the team of people who I work with and for to achieve our results and our desired end
0: that is the perfect way to end because we are all a team and I'm looking forward to the celebration in May when we can really raise up our graduates. That's probably my favorite day of the year. It is. It's mine too. It's mine too.
2: I I,
0: I will close with a story.
2: A student told me a couple of months ago, they said to me, do you know me? And I said, No, (laughs) because we had 1,200 graduates. And they said, I graduated in May and I walked across the stage and I asked you, can I take a picture with you? And you said, yes. And I showed that picture to my dad
0: and it is the only picture that he cherishes. I do remember that happening. And that's a... That's a beautiful story because it is something to cherish. And we will definitely be raising up our graduates, a good many of them in yes. May.
1: It's been a pleasure, and not to go backwards, but that last story that you just shared and talking about the value of an education, it touches the entire family, not just the individual. Thank you.
2: You're absolutely right. When when one person in the household goes to college. I've said this for 30 years. The entire household goes to
1: college. Absolutely. Well, thank thank you you so much.
2: Well, thank you both for having me. I've enjoyed this conversation. Have me back before a year from now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. Visit our website at www.govst.edu slash teaching and learning podcast to see the show notes from today's episode we appreciate governor state university's
1: center for community media for hosting our podcast and the work behind the scenes to make publishing possible stay tuned for more episodes of teaching and learning with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.